Hey South Hills, many of you may not know the story of South Hills. It began with a dream to start a new kind of church, to create a space where all people would feel welcome, regardless of who they are, where they've been, what they've done, or even what they believe about God. The hope is that they would be invited in, treated with respect, shown the love of Jesus, and empowered to become a better you. Over the years, we have reached thousands with the message of Jesus, watching new life unfold as people move towards Jesus and away from the shackles of shame, addiction, dysfunction, depression, and even anxiety. This upcoming weekend, as we get ready for the biggest weekend in church history, I strongly want to encourage you to invite someone in your life that is not connected to a local church. What we do here at South Hills is life-changing, and your invitation to those in your life can save a marriage, can save a family, and the reality is it can save a life. This world is way too big and way too hard to live in alone. We were never intended to live life alone, away from God and away from a church family. So please take the time, reach out, and extend an invitation to have someone join you at one of our Easter weekend services. in our week two, week two of our Easter series worth repeating. Uh, and I want to remind you that those flyers on the chairs are for you to use as an invite, uh, whether you're inviting colleagues at work or uh, family members, uh, neighbors. Uh, it's a great opportunity. We've uh, mailed out over 15,000 uh, mailers that have gone into our community. Uh, we have printed over a thousand uh, of these flyers. Uh, all uh, we've done uh, social media promotions, um, and it's important for us because we feel uh, this is the best opportunity that we get as followers of Christ to invite someone to church. As I mentioned before, there are two times that people are going to come to church if they're not normally coming, and that is Easter and Christmas. And so we get the incredible privilege to use every tool that we have to our advantage uh, to invite and bring people. So I want to encourage you. I want to strongly encourage you to, there are people, as Monica said, people that you know that may not have all their stuff together, people that are trying to find answers, people that are looking for a church, but they don't even really know that they're looking for a church. Uh, and you get this incredible opportunity to invite them to come uh, and uh, celebrate Easter with us. The message that we'll be sharing falls along the lines of what we've been talking over these last, uh, uh, the, over last week and this week, and um, I don't know about you, but I've, I've, there's people that I love and care about that I know for sure are not coming to church, don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I want to do everything within my power to make sure they get an opportunity to be connected with Jesus and come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So before you leave, grab these flyers, take them home. You know, uh, have you ever been to like a parking lot? You go run in to the, to the store real quickly. You want to get a, a gallon of milk or bread or eggs, whatever, and you come back and somebody's already put this on your window. You're like, how'd you, I, didn't even, I didn't even see you. Like, how'd you get that on my door or on my windshield? Right? They're like ninjas. So I'm encouraging you to be a ninja. Go put some of these on, in, in, the, in the lots. Anyway, it's going to be an awesome Sunday. I'm so excited about next week, and uh, I cannot wait to eat some yummy churros with all of you. All righty. So we are in week two of our Easter series. Um, this series really is about... Here's the thing. There are a lot of words, a lot of words and phrases and slogans that get stuck in our head, right? I remember Nike came out with their campaign and ad, and they said, just do it. And just, oh, there's so many things that we, we are constantly being fed through social media, through uh, the, the TV and radio, all of these uh, ads and promos for things and phrases that are being told to us, right? They get passed around, not because they're profound in any form or way or fashion, but because they're catchy. They're catchy, right? And we say them because everybody else seems to be saying them. 
all of which leads us to repeat things that are worth forgetting and forget things that are actually worth repeating. Now, Jesus Jesus shortly before his death, knowing right that he would eventually die, made a series of short statements that came to define his movement, the movement that we know as Christianity. And so what makes these statements so worth repeating? Right? And that's what this series is all about. Last week, we talked about the statement in which Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Right? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Such a powerful message last week was shared on his forgiveness towards us and our forgiveness for those around us. And if you missed it, you can catch it on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. But such an incredible, powerful message. So let's jump into the second of Jesus' saying that are worth repeating. And that is, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So let me, let me start off by asking this. Have you ever had a, a time or a moment where somebody forgot something and and that somebody forgot something that was important to you whether that was a birthday whether that was a, you don't got to say it so loud <laughs> a birthday an anniversary something that you wanted from the store right an event that you invited people to come and and be a part of Anybody, just raise your hand. Anybody ever have that happen to them? Right? Okay, good. We're kind of all in the same boat here. And when that happens, we, we can feel annoyed. We can feel hurt, embarrassed, devalued to some extent, right? We feel unimportant. We get angry and maybe even a bit betrayed, depending on how, how deeply, uh, how deep we felt about this. Right? Depending how big of a deal it was to you. The bottom line is that it doesn't feel good. Right? It doesn't feel good. There's not a person in, in, that, that's in here today that, that can say, you know what? They forgot my birthday. That felt really good. Oh. Right? Like, like my wife will, sends me out to go to the market. And if you ever send a guy that's hungry to the market, we'll come back with a whole bunch of things except the thing that we were supposed to get. And she goes, why'd you bring that? What do you mean, why I brought it? Why'd you bring it? That's not what I asked you. I know, but, but I thought it was good. She goes, where's the thing I asked you to buy? Oh, I'll be back. <laughs> and in those moments, it's hard not to, to make assumptions about why that person forgot. Things like, man, they were probably trying to send a message to me. Or, or man, they, were, they totally knew that it would hurt me. They knew it was going to bother me so much. Or, or they obviously don't care how it would make me feel that they forgot this. And I guess if I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt, it could have, maybe it could have been that they just got distracted. I get distracted when I go down like the, the bread aisle. Like the pastry, that's just a, that's not a place for me to go to. Right? I get distracted. I forget everything. Because it's I feel like it's like Costco. You ever been in Costco? I, when I go to Costco, I have to go down every aisle. I just have to see what's in there. I'm just nosy like that. And so when I go down to the market, right, I have to go down through the pastry aisle. I just want to see what's there. I'm not going to buy nothing. I just want to see, right? And I get distracted, or or maybe you you didn't write, they didn't write it down, or or something else came up, or they simply just didn't understand how big of a deal it was to me. Either way, it happened. And it hurt me. Because whatever the reason, some way, somehow, it communicates at some level that what's important to me isn't important to you. 
And maybe, maybe even that you're more important to me than I am to you. Most of us don't like the idea of living with that that level of vulnerability because it can feel like once we made our needs known, then we're just we're just sitting around waiting for the rejection that's inevitable, that's, that's going to come no matter what. A lot of us can't help but hang on to those moments where this has happened to us. Man, they forgot that they were the ones going to pick me up. They, they didn't remember saying that they would help me. They forgot it was their weekend. They forgot our anniversary. It slipped their mind that they agreed to give me a raise. They didn't remember that they met me before. All of these scenarios hit us in different ways because of the specific story that we are each living out. There are some types of forgetfulness that don't even phase us, right? Some of us be like, oh, that's right. No, we're right. We keep moving, and it doesn't, doesn't matter. It wasn't a big deal. We just, we just scratch it. We keep moving forward. But then there are other times where someone's forgetfulness can really hurt us, right? And it shines a spotlight on our biggest fears or deepest insecurities. Like, because they forgot something, it hurt us so much, and it brings us back to that moment where someone hurt us in the past. Someone did something to us that, 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 that brought about pain at that moment, and because this person now, a whole new person, is, did the same exact thing, we feel like, oh, that hurt And there are moments where we didn't even know how important something was until somebody, we were convinced, we were absolutely convinced that they would always remember until that person actually forgot. And then there are times that so many things have gone off the rails in our own life that we just, we don't, we don't just feel forgotten by other people, it goes a little bit deeper. We feel forgotten by God. It has happened so many times, and and, and life is a mess right now for us, that when someone forgets something that has value to us, not only do we feel that this person has been forgotten or has forgotten us, we feel as if God has forgotten us. Ever felt that way before? Maybe today you're here and you feel that way, as if God has forgotten you. I have. I have felt that way where where you feel like the whole universe is stacked against you. And that carries with it all of the same feelings of of being forsaken or, or forgotten by a person but with something else added on, hopelessness, right? You feel like, man, there's nowhere for me to go. There's nothing for me to do to change the way I feel today or the way my life is playing out. And that's why something Jesus is asked on the cross by someone being crucified alongside of him is so surprisingly and heartbreaking, uh, breakingly relatable to us today. In Luke chapter 23, verse 35, it says, The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed, right? He, he saved others. They're yelling. They're yelling. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. If he is who he says he is, let him, let him get down from the cross. Let him do what he said he's going to do. He's the king, right? A couple of days ago, we were just, woo, the king is coming, the king is coming. If he's the king, let him do what he can do. Then in verse... 38 and 39, a sign was fastened above him with these words. Right on top of the cross, there was a sign that said, this 
as the king of the Jews. And it wasn't a proud sign. This was a sign that was put there to mock him. This is the king of the Jews? One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, right? So you're the Messiah, are you? Right? Prove it. Prove it by saving yourself and saving us too while you're at it. They're just piling it on him, piling it on. The crowd is taunting Jesus. He's taunt, they're taunting Jesus, telling him to save himself. And then, if that's not enough, one of the criminals next to him piles it on and says the same exact thing. But here's the thing, church. Saving himself was the one thing that Jesus could not do. Saving himself was the one thing that Jesus couldn't do because to save himself would mean to doom us. To save himself out of the situation that he was in would mean that life moving forward, everyone there present and everyone that was to come in this world would be doomed for life. So no, Jesus couldn't save himself. Their taunt reveals the same misunderstanding of power that a lot of us, uh, a lot of us have today, which is that the purpose of power is to make life better for us. That the purpose of power is to get what you want and to avoid suffering. That's how many people interpret power. But Jesus, Jesus paints a completely different picture of power. You see, he's always leveraged power to make life for others better. To meet our needs and to alleviate our suffering. So the crowd is saying, see how powerless you are? <laughs> you can't even save yourself. And Jesus is saying, man, if you only understood what power is, if you only understood what this means for you today and for your children and your children's children and for the, the next hundreds of generations to come. Luke chapter 23 brings us the story from another thief that is nailed to the cross. And it says, but the other criminal protested, don't you feel, excuse me, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And so now he's addressing the other criminal on the other side and the people that have gathered there. And he says, wait, wait, wait. Don't, don't you fear who God is? Don't you understand who this man is? And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's not just asking Jesus to think about him later. He's asking Jesus to act on his behalf, to do something on his behalf, right? At some level, this is what we're all wondering today, right? When, when I come to a place in my life where things are not going the way I planned for them to go, when I come to this, a place in my life where things are actually bad and I'm in pain and I'm going to have to pay the price for the bad decisions that I've made at my lowest moment, is God going to remember me? When I've done everything that I could possibly do in the wrong way and it's my turn, will God remember me? Will he intervene on my behalf? Or is God like everyone else, well-intentioned but forgetful? 
That's the question we all really want to know. Because there's not a person in here that's lived the perfect life. We've all had our mistakes. We've all done our wrongs. Will God remember me? Before I tell you what Jesus said to this man, I want to point out a similar story found in the Old Testament because I don't think it's on accident or coincidence this story is shared with us. This is a story about Joseph, not Joseph, Mary's husband, but Joseph in the Old Testament, the one who had all the brothers who kind of got played by his brothers, right? Joseph is a good guy who is betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused and thrown into a prison. The story is found in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to kind of quickly paraphrase this story. You can go read it on your own. It's an incredible story if you have not done so. But this story about Joseph, right? So he is accused, he's betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, falsely accused, right, thrown into prison. And although in, in, in verses chapter 40, verse 1 through 7, although Joseph is innocent, he is being punished right alongside two people in the cell, right, that are guilty. There are two other people that are in the cell with him that are guilty. Where have you heard that before, Right? Verse 8 brings about the two people. We have the cupbearer and the baker, right? They share, they have dreams. Now, Joseph had this incredible gift of being able to interpret dreams from people. And so people would share their dreams, and Joseph would tell you, here, here this is what it means, right? And so the cupbearer and, and the baker begin to share their dreams with Joseph. These two guys, they came from the king's court, the man in charge. They came from the king's uh, court, both to tell Joseph their dreams, and he interprets the dreams for them, and it's a, a good news, bad news scenario. It's a good news, bad news scenario. His interpretation is that they both will be done with this current moment of misery soon. Well, that's good news. Right? That's good news. However, one of them, one of them will end up back in the palace, living that life, all about that life, but the other will pass from this punishing moment to an even more punishing moment. And they're both, they, they're, 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 they're both of them will be released. But one will live on and the other will die. In verse 14 and 15, so now Joseph has, has interpreted the dream for them. And so Joseph, uh, he knows what's going to happen. So he's, he's asking the cupbearer for help when he's released. Joseph wanted to be uh, remembered by the person that he believed had the power to help him because he was innocent. The thief on the cross with Jesus wanted to be remembered by the person that he believed had the power to help him because he was guilty. Let's move on to verse 20 to 23. The cupbearer, after Joseph had asked him, hey, I need you to hook a brother up. Help me in this situation. Don't forget about me. I'm your boy. I helped you out. Right? What does a cupbearer do? He forgets. The cupbearer forgets about Joseph. I can picture Joseph getting cleaned up. Oh, I'm going to get out of here. I am innocent. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting, this is going to be my day, right? Collecting his things in anticipation of finally getting out of prison. And so he sits and waits. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits. And he waits for the release that's never to come, right? never coming. He just waits. We all know what that feels like. To try and do the right thing, trusting our fate to something or someone else and sitting and waiting for them to come through for us. 
And we also know the sinking feeling of realizing that it's not going to happen, that it's not your turn, right? Is there anything more tragic, more hurtful than that? You want something so bad that you feel like, man, I deserve this. I deserve a better life. I deserve this promotion. I deserve to get out of this. I deserve to achieve this and get that. And you're hoping, you're hoping that other people will, will see that and come through and help you. And it doesn't happen that way. And by the way, the cup, the cup bearer wasn't a bad dude. Right? He was a good dude. He didn't mean to forget. He just got wrapped up in his own life and forgot. But there was no way for Joseph to know that because Joseph was still in prison. Word was coming around. It wasn't like they were texting each other. Hey, dude, did you get that? You, you going to help me out? No, no like, just hold up. Wait a minute. I'm trying to do No, there was no way for them to communicate, right? So Joseph didn't know that. And even though it wasn't a conscious betrayal by the cupbearer, it still hurt. It still stung. Probably even more so because this is not the first time that Joseph had been betrayed by someone that he really had a relationship with, someone that he loved, someone that he cared about, someone that he shared his life and his stories with, right? You'd think the cupbearer would have known better, would have had sympathy and, and been more sensitive to all of it, to what was going on. After all, Joseph, Joseph hooked him up. Joseph told them what was going to happen. Joseph brought life and joy to him. And like, one day you're going to get out of here. This is how it's going to play out. You know, Joseph had to have been thinking, man, what's important to me isn't as important to you. And clearly, you're more important to me than I am to you. But here's, here's the best part. The cupbearer may have forgotten Joseph, but God never did. I'll say that again. The cupbearer may have forgotten Joseph, but God never forgot about Joseph because God is not like people. God is not like man, right? God will never forget. God is trustworthy and reliable and unfailing. That's who God is. Hebrews, uh, excuse me, Numbers 23.9 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. He has, uh, has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? In other words, God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget us, and he always comes through, Right? And what does he promise? There are too many things that God promises us, but I'm going to focus on two that are uh, are relevant to our conversation this morning. And one of them is found in Deuteronomy uh, 31.6, that God will never fail or abandon us. God doesn't say, oh, you my people, and then leave you hanging. God doesn't say, I love you, and say, man, I (laughs) talk to you later. Don't call me, I'll call you. And the second thing he promises us in front of Romans 8 is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. There's not a hairdo in the world that can separate you from the love of Christ. There's not a job status in the world. There's not, whether you have zero followers or one million followers, that's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. There's not a thing that you can steal at a store that will separate you from the love of Christ. It's not a time where you have forgotten to read your word, where you've forgotten to pray, that you stop going to church that can separate you from the love of Christ. I thought you'd be more excited than that. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And that's his promise to us. Paul lists the most extreme things that you can imagine, but none of them can crush you or defeat you. Why? Because none of them, nothing can separate you from God's love. By the way, if you're wondering, you've never heard the story of Joseph. God did follow through on Joseph's behalf. 
He pulls them out of prison and he places them in the palace. Makes them royalty. Love that. Love that when the world comes against us and tries to step on us, tries to belittle us, tries to put you in a, in a dungeon, that God comes through. He takes you from the tail to the head. And why is this important? Why is this detail so important? Because this story is not just about Joseph. This story is about you. This story is about me. This story is about us. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that he will not forget you, that he will not leave you in your prison because we, we have all have certain prisons that we have that we feel trapped in. There are all, we all have this certain prison that we feel captive to. Certain dark places and spaces that we feel like we're never going to get out of. And Jesus says, hey, I got you. I'm not going to forget you. I'm not going to leave you there. And maybe it's a situation that you're in. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in, a habit or, I don't know, a mindset that is holding you captive in your life today. God wants you to know that exactly what he wanted Joseph to know, that I see you. I see you. I haven't forgotten you. I know how hard this moment is for you right now. You're hurting. You're in pain. Things are going crazy in your life. You're not understanding everything that's going on. Maybe your children are hurting. Maybe your spouse is hurting. Maybe there's chaos in your world at this moment, but I have not abandoned you. I have not forgotten you. You are at the top of my list. I am working on your behalf because that's who I am. Put your trust in me because I have something better for you on the other side of this. What you are going through, what you're experiencing today, it hurts, yes, but joy comes in the morning. My blessings are yay and amen. My promises are real. And you know how I know Jesus wants you to know that? Because he wanted the thief. He wanted the thief who cried out to him on the cross to know that. When he desperately pleaded to Jesus to remember him, he knew that he was a thief. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that his future was gloom. And there was nothing left for him to, to the, there was no party that was going to happen for him. He knew that. But he knew who Jesus was. And he called out to Jesus. He desperately pleads for Jesus to remember him. And this is what Jesus says. I love this. In Luke 23, 43, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus stamps the promise. He confirms it to him and says, man, dude, I got you. You roll with me. You come in with me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to leave you here. I'm not going to forget you, and I'm not going to abandon you because there is nothing that can separate the love of God that he has for you. Now, why the word or the term paradise? Paradise was a word used to refer and to describe to the Garden of Eden. Right in Genesis, it wasn't just a description of a place of reward or pleasure or delight, it was a description of a place where all things, all things were made right and worked as God had originally planned and intended it for, for, for it to work. It was the promise of beauty 
in the face of horror. It was the connection in the face of, of rejection. It was acceptance in the face of judgment and life in the face of death. That's what paradise represented. And it's not just a promise that he made to that man on the cross. Romans 10.13 tells us that for everyone, uh, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul wasn't the first to say this though, and Peter said it in Acts, and, and they're both quoting it from the Old Testament in Joel. In Joel. Um, but the point is this, church, that God never forgets his promises and always honors our trust. When we believe, when we put our trust in his hands, when we say, Jesus, God, I submit my life into your hands, to your authority, I am coming in and pleading, giving, surrendering my life into your hands. It's me saying, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe your promises for my life. So what does it look like to place your trust in God? Right? What does that look like? The thief shows us. He calls him Jesus. Maybe you may not. I'm, I'm, I'm digging into this, right? He calls him Jesus. No. Big deal. No big deal about what we call him. We all call him Jesus, right? But this is easy to miss. But I don't think it's by accident, right? Because what else would he call him? Well, the disciples didn't call Jesus by Jesus. The disciples called him teacher, master, rabbi. That's how people refer to him. Typically in the Gospels, the only people who called Jesus by his name, Jesus, were those in desperate need of healing. People that were in need of a touch from God. People that were in need of a miracle to take place in their life. You see, Jesus' name in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And so just uttering the name of Jesus is a one-word prayer that means, Lord, save me. Save me from what I am in at this moment. Have you ever seen or heard someone just praying the name of Jesus over and over and over again? or heard a song about how beautiful the name of Jesus is, or wonder uh, why people talk about um, only experiencing salvation through Jesus. We may only hear a proper name, but the people, the people at the foot of the cross would have heard a humble prayer. One man vulnerably pleading with another, please, Save me. That's what the thief was saying. Please, Jesus, Jesus, please save me, right? Because it's only by admitting that we need, right? We need that God, excuse me, it's only by admitting we have a need that God can step in and graciously meet it. Healing always requires humility. Healing always requires humility. In order for someone to step in and help, it's going to require you to humble yourself and say you can't do it on your own. It requires us to whisper, remember me. Remember me. Unfortunately for a lot of people, including the other thief on the other side of Jesus, the one thing that we're not willing to exchange for wholeness is having to humble ourselves. That's a big setback. But I think it's so worth it. And that's the point of Joseph's story. And that's the point of the story of the thief. I'm going to wrap this up. Today, friends, I want to encourage you to follow in the footsteps of the thief. Follow in the footsteps of Joseph to decide to trust God with your now, believing he will reward you your devotion later. 
to trust God with your now, whatever your now is, whatever your now looks like today. Sometimes we are going through things that are so difficult that we feel like, man, nobody's ever going to understand. Nobody's never going to know what I'm going through. Nobody's going to really comprehend it. It's too big. This is, you know, God is not really interested. And then we don't humble ourselves and say, Lord, take this. I need you. Jesus. Jesus. Save me. We're so caught up in ourselves and we're caught up with how it's going to look or what people are going to think about us. That we fail to call upon the name above all names. Church, we need to decide to trust God with our now, believing that he will reward your devotion later. The truth is that you don't have to make that decision. A lot of people don't. God loves you enough to give you that level of freedom. He loves you that much that he's not going to force that on you. Talked about it this morning in our huddle. He's a gentleman. And he's not going to force you to do something that you don't want to really do. He's not going to force you to humble yourselves. Surrender your life into his hands. But he does want you to. Because he wants to love on you. Joseph had two criminals surrounding him in the cell. One who moved beyond his pain into paradise and one who didn't. And Jesus was crucified next to two criminals. One who humbly asked him for help. And the one who held tight to his pride and extended his own suffering. But here's the thing, church. Both thieves had equal need. Both of them were on the cross. Both of them needed the help. Both had equal access to Jesus who was right there with them. But only one of them had the courage. Only one of them had the courage and the humility necessary to ask for help. And so I guess the question for you today is, what are you going to do? Will you humble yourself? Will you humble yourself and ask and be courageous enough to ask for help? For ask Jesus to ask Jesus to step in. We all have the same choice that they had. Will you seek Jesus' help? So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we wrap up. I've gone a little bit over my time here, but I felt in my heart it's important to not go through the motions, not pretend that this is in and out. I always find it funny how in and out is titled in and out, but it never feels like it's in and out. (laughs) Sorry, that was my stomach speaking. Um... Church, I can't pretend to know what each and every single one of you are going through in your life. I can't just paint it that each family here is walking from glory to glory to glory, that everything is absolutely perfect. Your kids are perfect. Your house is perfect. Your job is perfect. Your in-laws are perfect. Your grandparents are perfect. Your spouse is perfect. I can't pretend to say that that is what is existing in this room. I'd like to. but I live in the same world that you live in. And I understand that there are struggles and there are hurts and there are pains in this room at this moment. I understand that there are questions that you have that you're trying to figure out answers to. Some of you are looking for direction. Some of you are looking for miracles to take place. Some of you are looking for forgiveness. Some of you are looking for direction. Some of you are looking for protection. Some of you are looking for financial blessing. 
Some of you are looking for healing. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. But the thing that I am 100% certain is that there's need in this room. I think I did an incredible job delivering this message. I thought it was precise. I thought it was easy to understand. I delivered it to the best of my ability. I also didn't deliver something that I made up. It's all found in Scripture. But I can't take the next step for you something that you have to take that you have to have the courage to say you need help and so I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes and bow your heads yes it might be a little bit uncomfortable for just a few minutes but this is probably one of the most important things that you're ever going to do today, this week this month, this year and that is to have the courage and the humility to say, Jesus. So with every head bowed down and every eye closed, if you are in the need for Jesus to step in, if your heart is crying out, Jesus, because you're in a situation or someone you love is in a situation and they are in need, would you just raise your hand this morning? Amen. 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 I see it. I see it and I feel it. I see your hand. And I don't need to know the need. Because God does. He knows it. And he sees it. I just want to pray for you this morning. Before I release you, I just want to pray that God would step in and move on your behalf. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you with our hearts and our hands raised, surrendering our life into your hands, my God, believing in what we just heard today, that you are our Savior, that you love us, that you would never leave us nor forsake us or abandon us, my God, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate us from your love, my God, and so we surrender at this moment. We give you our hurts. We give you our pain. We give you our struggles. We give you the things that don't align up with your heart and your direction. We give you those things that are stump- uh, str- that we're struggling with, that are stumbling blocks, my God. We give you them up to you, my God, and we ask that you in turn would help us, my God, that you would give us what we need in our life today, my God. If that is physical healing, if that is spiritual healing, if that is emotional healing, would you bring that about, my God? If that is a financial blessing, Lord. Would you reign it upon us, my God? Give us wisdom to, to, to understand our finances and to take steps to make it, our finances better, my God. If we're stuck in relationships, Lord, that are not what you intended for us, Lord, help us to see that and have the courage to step out of that, Lord Heavenly Father. If our children are hurting in some form or fashion, would you step in, my God, and would you intervene on their behalf, my God? Lord, if we're stuck in a place, in a job, that's not beneficial to us that is not edifying our spirit and is just condemning us and putting weight upon us would you take that from us would you extract us from that situation and put us in a place that we can see your hand of glory Lord Heavenly Father Lord would you continue to show us your favor in all that we say in all that we think in all that we do Lord Heavenly Father Lord we're calling Jesus Jesus we need you we need you to step in we need you to Come and save us, Lord. Because there is absolutely nothing that you cannot do. There is no miracle that you cannot perform. There is no healing that you cannot do. There is no prayer that you cannot answer. 
because your love for us is more than we can ever understand or comprehend, my God. And today we humbly call on the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you didn't know what you were stepping into today, and you were like, this place is bananas. They said a whole bunch of things, but somehow deep down inside of me, I want to know who this Jesus is. I want to know if he really can do the say that the things that this chubby guy on the platform said he would do. Is Jesus real? If you're here this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today. With every eye closed and head bowed, this is really just about you at this moment. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to do so today. Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I want to know who Jesus is. Yes, I want to know what he's about. Yes, I want to experience this love, this freedom, this promise. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, today we gather as one body, as one family, believing and trusting in you, our Savior, believing in your word that says you would never leave us nor forsake us, believing and trusting that your promises are yea and amen, believing and trusting that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Today, many of us said yes to you, Jesus. Jesus, step in, save us from our current situations. And we're going to leave here believing and trusting in your word. We're going to leave here with our heads held high, knowing that you will come through. And in the end, you will get all of the glory and all of the honor that you so rightfully deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.